and welcome back to another episode of Surf Splendor. I'm your host, David Scales, bringing you an episode of Surf News for March 18th, 2014 today with uh, my co-host, Scott Bass. We will get right into it in just a moment, but before we get into the show, I've just got to share the little bit of business that is follow us on social media at Surf Splendor. Come to our website to see all the reference media and material that um, that goes along with this episode in terms of videos and pictures. That's all on our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com. You can also find all past episodes of our show archived there, or you can find it on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you listen in iTunes or Stitcher, make sure to rate and review the show. And I see how many people download and listen uh, via those apps, and I also see how many reviews and ratings we have, and those numbers are wildly disproportionate. But I'm grateful for what we do have, and honestly, if you could just take a minute, rate and review, it helps the show to grow. It helps other people to find it. And um, as always, I always say, the more people that are listening, the more shows we will be able to produce in the future. So that's just your small way to invest in Surf Splendor, is to share it with other people and to rate and review it to help them to find it. So please do that. Um, Without further ado, we'll just launch into today's episode, and I will close us out at the end of today's show and uh, also give you a little preview of what's to come for next week. All right? Thanks for listening. Enjoy today's show. Hey, now. Down the line, Surf Talk Radio. A big yeah guy to you and yours. It is March 18th, 2014. And uh, of course, sitting to my left, my friend and co-host, David Scales. Good morning, David. Was that even a yeah guy? That was like a yeah guy. <laughs> Half asleep yeah guy when you're waking up in the morning? Uh, you know, it, it evolves. Do you, you have know, your coffee or what? It changes. Okay. There's like so it. many different iterations of Yaga. Yeah there's Ah ah, ah, ah guy, and then there's Yaga yeah guy. Yeah I'm new to the Yaga. Yeah guy. Yeah guy. So, all right, cool. I'll yeah. start working out. I'll give you a variety of maybe six next time we meet that I've come up with. We'll go from there. I'll have a little repertoire of Yaga yeah guys. Cool guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let's see. There's a lot going on in the surf news world uh, this week, and. Um, I don't know where you want to start this. Do you want to say quickly that uh, your website is surfsplendorpodcast.com? It is. And social media at surfsplendor. And mine is downthelineradio.com. And my social media is all over the place. But how about at boardroom show? That's my Twitter. Sounds good. On um, my Instagram. I got somewhere to start. Yeah. With me eating humble pie. No way. That's our first course a whole this show evening. On this. <laughs> so got an email from Max J. I don't think he sent this to you, so this may be news to you, actually. Uh-oh. Or if you weren't copied on the one that he sent me anyways. Yeah. Anyways, Max J. Uh, he gave a little introduction, but I'm going to start by reading, um, just as I am a huge fan of surf, I am also just as much a huge language fan and noticed in the last episode, you correct Scott Bass on his pronunciation 
for Miguel Pupo's last name. In reality, Scott has the most correct pronunciation of Miguel's last name out of any non-Portuguese speaker that I've ever heard. In Portuguese, the final O, the final letter O, is a word, uh, in a word, is almost always pronounced like the U in Pupo, giving the correct pronunciation for Miguel's last name the same sound as the word poo-poo in English. But since most of the announcers and interviewers don't speak a lick of Portuguese, they wouldn't know of such a pronunciation, so they will usually give the Spanish way of pronouncing it, poo So you referring to Miguel's name as poo is the correct Portuguese pronunciation. And of course I knew that, and I want to... What was this gentleman's name? Uh, Max J. Max J, thanks so much for enlightening my co-host, David. You and I know what's going on, and uh, thanks for poo-pooing my friend David Lee Scales here. Wow. An embarrassing moment for <laughs> your co-host, David Scales. <laughs> Yippee! Okay, so there well. There you go. Good Scott. stuff. Yeah. Um, That's one for Scott. You know what? I'd like to start off with this interesting story that I'm sure that you saw, because I know that you, uh, you scour the internet, much like I do. Um, Kelly Slater's car was vandalized. Um, 11-time world champion Kelly Slater hit with a backlash at Snapper Rock after he said that basically the wave is uber dangerous, super dangerous, very dangerous. And um, somebody waxed his windshield and wrote the word, the F word, with wit following it. I'll just go ahead and say it. I don't know what, it's not like the FCC is going to... So somebody wrote fuck wit. Uh, with wax on Kelly's windshield. And Kelly was smart enough and, and uh, how would you say, he sort of, um, he, he got enough of a kick out of it to... Um, Cell phone's off, Scott. Jeez, this is yeah. a professional show. I don't know what you're doing. Yeah, um, he, Kelly took a photo of it, Instagrammed it. Right. And um, said something along the lines of, I hope, you know, maybe this will out the person that, that vandalized my car. So Kelly Slater, vandalized. Even yeah. the 11-time world champ can get vandalized. Yeah, so I didn't. I saw his Instagram, but I didn't read anything more into it than just that. Do you have additional backstory? Or, like, I didn't even know it was at Snapper Rocks. I know he's still in Oz and he's surfing, but um, I didn't know that it was like a backlash. I thought somebody was just taking an opportunity to give Kelly a hard time. Yeah, well, um, this is what he wrote. You probably saw this in the Instagram. He said, such great respect surfers have for each other around these parts, wrote Kelly. Maybe he'll brag to his friends and I'll find out who he is so that I can thank him in person and return the favor. So those were Kelly's words in mm -hmm. his Instagram post. The post attracted 30,000 likes almost instantly, which isn't really news. Um, and uh, of course, again, Slater had branded snapper is one of the busiest most dangerous breaks in the world and uh, i'm sure that's some a lot of truth to that i know during the lay days for the event the gold coast event um the quicksilver pro they were saying even joel parkinson and mick fanning were saying it was the most crowded snapper rocks they've ever seen yeah um which i can understand surfing's getting increasingly popular and obviously all the pros are in town so everybody wants to be out there but i have a question for you regarding that um Freddie P Instagrammed that his favorite board, it was a Chris Gallagher that he was riding for the contest, was damaged because he got run over by somebody in a free surf. And when you see video clips of how crowded it was, it was impossible to not get run over. I mean, it was a sea of people, quite literally. And um, so my question for you is just like, 
Do we need to quarantine area? Is that something that we're gonna have to figure out in the future to factor into events like this or the US Open where it's really crowded or the Trestles event? I go to the Trestles event every year and for the two hours before the competition starts, all the local guys who normally surf there are still surfing there, longboarders catching waves from super deep while Joel Parkinson is trying to warm up for the event. You know, so um, I see both sides of the story. The longboarder who surfs there year round should be able to surf there, but at the same time, Parco, we wanna see Parco compete to his full potential during the event. Therefore, maybe we should give him an hour before the event to practice and warm up, you know? What are your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts are no, we should not do that. We should, um, you know, that's, as you mentioned in the last show, that's part of the beauty is that these guys also get to, you know, the locals get to surf with the professionals. It's the only time right. they really get to do that. Um, the ocean's free. They take it away from us enough as it is with the event and in the prime, you know, month of September, you know, it's, it's part of the charm. Isn't yeah. <clears throat> the crowds are the crowds. You're not going to catch me out there surfing, but um, if it's your local spot, it's your chance to kind of, you know, ruffle your feathers up and, and give, be proud as a peacock and surf with Joel Parkinson and show him how it's done. I, I think that's cool. And I think we, sh you know, we shouldn't change that. Yeah. It would kind of be a shame to take <clears throat> it away because it is such <clears throat> a cool thing to be able to surf with your heroes. But I end up surfing with those guys, as I said in the last show, even when it's when there's not an event in town, you know? So I think I would still be able to enjoy that experience. I'm not advocating for, you know, the quarantined area concept, but I, I just wonder if that's almost an inevitable thing that's going to happen when, as we're getting more crowded. But Yeah, that when, the, when and if that time comes, there'll be a major backlash, I think. For sure that. there will. You know, so um, more than Kelly Slater just uh, getting his windows waxed and putting it on Instagram. Yeah, exactly right. Um, I got a question for you, or something that we should tell the viewers. Do you got to take that? Or? No. Oh, go okay. ahead. All right. Um, we both got boards made recently. Yes, we did. So I think we should talk about that. You Let's, ready to talk yeah. about that? All yeah, right. yeah, for sure. So to give you uh, listeners a backstory real quickly, I did an episode. Okay, well, let me backtrack even more so. At the last boardroom show that you did in Southern California, I met a shaper named Donald Brink, who had won the best in show category for an uh, alternative, alternative yep. board. And basically that alternative board was an asymmetrical design that you could actually ride on the deck or on the bottom. So if you're gonna go left on a wave, you surf it on one side. And if you're gonna go right, you flip it over and surf it on the other side. And it, right? Yeah. And it's a conceptual board. And I don't know how the traction would work in that scenario, but from a design standpoint with co contours and rail line and all that, that was the, the design that he had come up with. So anyways, I met Donald there, super interesting dude. And um, for me, I have never really been exposed to asymmetrical board design previously that much. I've seen it in the periphery, but I never really considered writing it myself. But Donald was uh, particularly articulate in explaining the concepts to me. I ended up interviewing him and created a podcast episode with that interview. And it got a lot of positive feedback. And then that day that I did that interview with him, I ordered a board. And then I brought him an old Mark Richards surfboard as a reference that I had for him to kind of make asymmetrical adjustments to, or improvements as he would call them, uh, 
for this new board design. At the same time, you ordered a board and we basically picked them up on the same week and we've now been surfing those two Donald Brink boards for the past week and a half. Yeah. How's your board going? My board is going great. I'm uh, really excited about it. I'll tell you, the, um, the listeners, just so they know, my board's uh, 5'11 on the heel side and 5'9 on the toe side. So it's longer on the heel side. And the asymmetric doesn't just um, stop at the outline, the plane shape. It also has um, asymmetrical rails in that the toe side rail is thinner than the heel side rail, which is slightly thicker. And the toe side rail also has um, extra nose rocker in it so I can get up the wave face quicker. And the heel side rail has extra tail rocker. So when I'm banking into either a roundhouse cutback or a backside bottom turn, I get a little bit, um, it's a little looser in that regard. I uh, struggled at first with fin placement. I had all, I have too many fins and I was just throwing fins in and out of the board and I tried all sorts of different stuff and I found, um, I found a nice uh, place with the fins. I've got five fins in it. Um, one of the, the back fin is one of those nubster fins from Futures. And, um, and the back fin's off-centered, right? Yeah, the back, back fin is off-center. It's not on the stringer. Right. And I have a big twin fin and a smaller back fin on the toe side. And just a normal quad setup on the heel, heel side. And uh, the first couple times I was really struggling with this board. Really? Yeah. I was like, oh, man. And it was mostly the fins. Um, but there are some moments like any board where you have to adjust to... You know, you're expecting something out of what you just had been riding for the last four months, and all of a sudden you're on a new board. So you just have to adjust to the changes in the rocker. And uh, I just really got comfortable with the board yesterday, and I've been riding it a lot. And um, I probably had maybe five or six surfs on it. And uh, I got some great waves on it the last couple of days, and um, I've really sort of found my groove with it. And... Um, and it's super fast and it's very fun and it's still, I'm still evolving with it. I'm still learning more about the board, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and some of the nuances and the things that it does and when it does them, you know. Tell me about the reference board that you brought in to have this board shaped after. Yeah, well, I had a, a board that Carl Extra made me, another asymmetrical board, and it's quite frankly one of, or if not the fastest board I've ever had. And, and the speed from this board comes in the fact that it has an extremely um, accentuated down rail. Most boards that you see in surf shops have what they call a tucked performance edge. So it's a rounded rail and then you'll feel the bead of the edge underneath the rail line. But the Ekstrom has a down rail so that it's almost like a 90 degree angle where the rail wraps to the bottom, it meets at a 90 degree angle, the edge doesn't tuck underneath. And this creates tons of speed, but it also creates a situation where um, when you're trying to turn, a lot of times the board won't roll over on the rail real nicely. Feel stiff, maybe? Yeah, well, it, what it does is it kicks you off the board. You've got all the speed, you roll it over onto the rail, and the board tips over. Mm. And, um, and so I suggested to Donald, you know, make me a board where I get all of the speed that I get out of the Ekstrom, but I can also roll it over on rail and, and perform a nice roundhouse cutback. And to be fair to Carl, this, the board that he made me is great and I can surf it and it does roundhouse cutbacks and it does all that stuff. I'm at a point now in my board design that I'm like hyper 
sensitive yeah. and hypercritical. And sure. and just for the fun of it, I'm always trying to have other people kind of tweak and change things for me. Yeah. Um, this is something that Carl could have done for me, no problem. You sure. know, Carl and I designed this board on purpose to have a really fast down rail. So Donald um, said, yeah, you know, I'd love to. And, and Donald gives all the kudos in the world to Carl Ekstrom as sort of inspiring this latest offering that he's made me. And um, I'm excited about it. It, it works really uh, well. And, and, and you know what? It, 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 it excites me to go surfing. Like it's in the back of my truck right now. And I'm excited to go ride it again. And so I'm, I'm real happy with it. And at first I was like, oh, man, this thing's kind of poltergeist, you know, mm-hmm. like it was doing weird things at weird times. And, and again, that was just a matter of me kind of um, getting used to and getting to know the craft and where she wants to go and when she wants to go there. And, right. And, you know, just the nuances of being riding it numerous times in a row. So that rail adjustment that you were looking for Donald to make, um, did he make it on both the heel side rail and the toe side rail? And secondly, did it work? Did it allow you kind of to do that turn yeah. easier? No, the idea was to keep the really hard down rail, the 90 degree angle, super okay. hard down rail on the toe side, which is my front side. Okay. So I want tons of speed on my front side. I'm going down the line, flying super fast with this down rail. And then when I lay it onto the heel side, which would be the roundhouse cutback rail, I then wanted it to be softened up and desensitized a little bit. And, and so, yeah, it's not, it's only on one side, the back side, the heel side, where we softened it up and thickened it up a little bit and added some tail rocker so that um, I can take all that speed from that front side down rail and lay it into the heel side, back side rail and, and continue and carry the speed through the maneuver. Now, does that create an impediment when you're on your backside, say, trying to do a roundhouse cutback? Well, it may. And, um, you know, the listeners should know that I only go right. I don't go left. I stop going left when I turn 40. You've said that in the past. Well, I will go left if it's a good one. Okay. So, the, you know, there's a caveat there. But I haven't, I haven't gone left on this board yet. Okay, got it. Yeah. Um, so the, the board that I had made, um, again, it's an in reference to a Mark Richards that's uh, actually a tri-fin, like five foot nine, a lot of volume. Um, pretty thick and I've only ridden it once. It was a garage sale board that my grandma found. She came home with it at some point. I was, she was babysitting me or I don't, I don't even know how old I was, maybe a young teenager over at my grandma's house for some reason. She came home with this garage sale board. I think she paid 20 bucks for it. And I was like, that's a classic board. Here's 20 bucks. I'll take that from you. And, um, I've ridden it once at upper trestles in really good waves and had a blast on it. And I then put it on ice and it's been in the garage ever since, but I brought that into Donald and I was like, dude, I had this one good session in particular, one good wave on this board. Um, and I'm afraid to ride it. I'm afraid to ding it. And, uh, I would like to just leave it in your hands. And if you can create something based on this, it doesn't have to even be this similar don't let this limit you, but this is one good wave I got on this board. Do what you want, you know? And he created a board that's actually uh, fairly similar, but um, does have some changes from it too. And similar to you, and I think sim- similar to just asymmetrical design theory, the heel side rail, a little bit fuller, a little thicker, and that's to accommodate the weight that you distribute in your heels. Your heels by nature push more and the front of your foot has more leveraging ability to pull 
The other, so the, the heel side rail's thicker and rounder, more forgiving, accommodates that weight. The toe side rail, thinner, more tucked, accommodates the leverage. The other detail is that the center reference line isn't actually centered because your pivotal reference in your foot isn't centered. The pivotal reference in your foot is in your ankles. So the center reference in the board is centered under ankle rather than under foot. So that center line for me being a regular foot is moved slightly to the left and it's a tri-fin. So the center fin isn't centered. That's centered under the, the middle of my ankle rather than the center of my foot. I use the word centered a lot in that explanation. Um, so that central reference though is under, under ankle, not under foot. That, those are the basic details. Mine's a rounded tail. So the length from tail to nose is actually pretty similar. You mentioned yours being a couple inches different. Mine's pretty similar. The heel side rail is straighter, toe side rail a little bit more round, but um, it's a 5.9 it's a I think. But I've been riding the board a lot. I've ridden it probably 10 or 12 times in the last two weeks, and I have loved it. It has more volume than the standard shortboard that I'm riding, um, but I just need to get off standard shortboards, you know, and need to be riding something with more volume. And so this allows me to do that without being a uh, seven foot single fin or something, which I also ride occasionally, or a longboard. This is just like, it feels like a shortboard and it has a little bit more sensitivity than the Mark Richards when I was riding that because it has a little less volume, but um, is a really fun to ride. And to your point of feeling out the board and letting the board kind of show you where it wants to go, I feel like when I ride the same board repeatedly, that goes away and I end up just trying to rip, you know, and trying to do what I think that I can do. And that's really only part of the surfing experience is trying to expand upon your skill level. I think another major part of the surfing experience is just letting the wave and letting the board show you where it wants to go and, and the best way to kind of ride that wave. And this board allows me to do that. And so it's this constant kind of give and take relationship with the board where I'm trying to impose my will and then it's showing me, no, 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 no. You wanna just draw out this turn longer rather than trying to whip the turn, you know? And so that's one thing that I really like about this board is kind of figuring out that relationship. Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought up um, surfboard design and, and the boardroom, quite frankly, because yesterday we had our... Um, random drawing for the shaping competition, the Icons of Foam, Tribute to the Masters, honoring Ben Ipa. It's presented by U.S. Blanks. And, and, and Ben Ipa chose two shapers, and that left us with um, the task of choosing three other shapers. What is the competition? It's a shaping competition where uh, six shapers each get an hour and a half in the shaping bay. Okay. And they're asked to replicate a classic IPA Sting surfboard. Okay. And then um, those are, uh, they don't sign them, so they're anonymous blanks that are finished. And Ben IPA and his sons, Aquila and Duke, will then judge the anonymous blanks and determine which one is the closest to the original. Got it. And then the winner of the competition will receive $1,000 and... Um, their name inscribed alongside other legendary shapers on the Mike Marshall Perpetual Trophy. Okay. So, again, 
um, Ben had already chosen two shapers, and Ben chose Cordell Miller. Wow. And Davy Smith. Okay. And so we had a call out to shapers worldwide to, you know, put your name in the hat, and we're going to have a random drawing in March. And so we had something like 78 shapers' names in this hat yesterday, and only three spots. Mm-hmm. And um, and we, so we pulled the names, and the three um, winning shapers that are going to get to compete in this competition are um, Roger Hines, awesome, who has a great history in Hawaii and here in California. Um, a guy named Sky Richard, who I have no idea who he is. He's from Florida, hmm. and um, a guy from Europe, a shaper named Alex Lorenz, or no Axel, excuse me. Axel Lorenz, a Frenchman. Okay. And um, those three guys, along with Cordell Miller, Davey Smith, and the defending champion from Bing Surfboards, Matt Calvani. Oh, wow. Those six guys will compete as we pay tribute and homage to Ben Ipa in the Icons of Foam, Tribute to the Masters, Shape Off. That's a great... So they don't necessarily have any experience shaping that type of a board, but Ben will provide a classic version for them to kind of study up on before they shape? Yeah, my friend, uh, actually my friend Bugs, who runs a website called surfboardline.com, and yeah. he's quite a surfboard collector. Yeah, I've seen He it. has a really classic IPA that we're going to be using. Uh, that's the one that we'll be asking these guys to replicate. Okay, awesome. That's a great concept. Yeah, so... Really excited about that. I'm going to punch out a press release about the um, shapers, the announcement, and uh, and I reached out to those three guys uh, via email last night, and they they eventually all got back to me. And of course, they're super stoked. So all three of them have confirmed their their participation. So uh, Axel's going to fly over from Europe, and I I googled him, and he's a he's one of the shapers for uh, the Pucas factory there. Uh, I want to say it's in Spain. Yeah, it is. And um, so he's got tons of credentials. I, you know, I don't know who Axel is, um, but I was sort of pleased to see that, um, you know, because you don't want to get somebody that's like, hey, put me in the contest and, and just doesn't really know how to handle a planer. Right. You know, and it's obvious that Axel knows what he's doing. I know Roger Hines is a legendary shaper in his own right, quite frankly. Country surfboards, right? Yeah. And a number of other labels, too, sure. uh, throughout the years. And... Um, this guy, Sky Richards, I don't, I don't know Sky, but he, he says he's got shaping experience and he's, he's going to go at it. So it's always fun to sort of have a, an underdog, if you will. That's what I was going to say. It's kind of cool to have, it's the wild card concept in the surf contests. You know, it's like, I don't know who this guy is necessarily, but it'd be awesome if he schooled some of the names we do know. You know? And you know Cordell Miller. Cordell's yeah. a great surfer who, who has a label called Cordell Surfboards and he's a, sort of a lowers uh, icon. He's been surfing out there since he was 12 years old or whatever. Lowers left, no leash. Yeah. Shredding. It's from yeah. Newport Beach, but... Yeah. 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 Really good serve for Cordell. And Davy Smith, you may or may not know, Davy Smith was one of the very first aerialists in California in the 80s. And he rode for Channel Island surfboards for years and years and years and shaped for Al Merrick at Channel Island surfboards. And I believe now is a pastor. Oh, really? Yeah. And... Um, and so he's going to be in it. So I'm excited to have a Channel Islands representative at the show. That always makes me, you know, excites me a little bit. And, I, uh, I seem to remember from the mid-90s footage of A. Davy Smith at Backdoor, like getting super barreled. 
regularly. You might be thi- is uh, a regular foot? Yeah. Yeah, you're thinking Davey Miller. Oh, okay. Yeah. Who's from, also the artist, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. You're and, right. And a great surfer and a guy who I think Dane Reynolds' style has a lot of Davey Miller in it. And okay. they're both from Ventura. Yeah. And Davey Miller's got sort of a, just sort of a classic style. And I, I see little tinges of it in Dane when I watch Dane surf. And Interesting. Yeah. Maybe that's just me, but I, I certainly notice there's some Davey Miller in Dane Reynolds. Well, good correction. And then another 1990s, mid-90s surf video hero that I looked up to that you mentioned is Aquila Ipa. I haven't seen him around recently, but he used to rip back in the day. North Shore underground guy. Yeah, well, I'm sure Aquila still does rip, and yeah, he's a I'm great sure. shaper in his own right, and his his boards are highly sought after by the sort of underground uh, surfboard gurus such yeah. as myself. Yeah. Um, you know, on certain surfboard forums, you know, Aquila Ipa has quite a following. Well, this would be a great time to segue into This Week in Surf History, Scott Bass. Oh, good. All right. This is the segment uh, brought to you by the Encyclopedia of Surfing, even though they don't know it. (laughs) Matt Warshaw's Encyclopedia of Surfing. Correct. Where I go to the Encyclopedia of Surfing.com, randomly with my eyes closed, scroll through all the various tiles and topics and just click on one. Cool. Open my eyes and then read to you about that topic so that... We, you and I, and all of our listeners can learn more about the history of surfing. <laughs> this is um, this is quite academic of you, David. I'm, I just I'm like sensing an academic tone even in your delivery here. I just rip off other people's work, Scott. That's what I do, <laughs> and that's academic as well. What's ac- you know what's plagiarism without some that's academia? How, that's how I got through college. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so, the topic for yes. this week's in in surf history. Hollow surfboards. Oh, interesting. Which plays right into what we're talking about with board design. Yeah. Hollow surfboards. Type of wooden surfboard slash paddleboard popular in the 1930s and 40s, invented and almost single-handedly developed by Wisconsin-born surfer and board designer Tom Blake. So, judged on its wave handling characteristic, the hollow board was... At best, a lateral step in surfboards' design evolution. But because it was lighter than the solid wood plank boards used in the early decades of the 20th century, the average plank board weighed about 60 pounds while the 12-foot hollow weighed about 45 pounds, surfing became accessible to those who otherwise might not have the muscle to get the board from the parking lot to the water. Blake made a hollow board um, of sorts in the uh, 1926 by drilling hundreds of holes through the deck of a plank, then sealing the board with a thin wood veneer. Three years later, in an effort to build a faster paddleboard, Blake designed the chambered hollow, bisecting a finished board, carving out the interior, and gluing the two pieces back together. In 1932, he introduced the transversely braced hollow with wooden ribs in the design, similar to that used in an airplane wing. Blake added the last refinement to the hollow board in the 1940s, replacing the squared off edges with a rounded rail design. Hollow surfboards, um, which also doubled as lifeguard rescue boards, were manufactured commercially in 1932 to the early 50s, and thousands of additional hollows were made in garages and backyards or as school projects. And actually, in 1939, Popular Science Magazine even published a do-it-yourself article on how to build hollow boards. 
When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Basically, uh, beginning and intermediate surfers in the 30s and 40s preferred hollow boards, but advanced surfers really preferred the plank because the plank, it was slower to paddle, but it was smoother riding and easier to control once on the wave. And um, ultimately, they were kind of deemed or rejected um, by the Malibu shapers who dominated in the 50s or after World War II, really. And those Malibu surfers incorporated the polyurethane and wood blank eventually, and away went the hollow board. But they've become highly prized in collector markets and auctions. And um, quite a few of them are on display here at the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center, where we have yeah, our studio. Yeah, the, the, the Blake um, hollow paddleboard slash surfboard is, uh, is highly sought after by collectors. Um, the, the boards had a brass plug in them that you would drain the water out with them. Um, Blake licensed his, his uh, design to the Los Angeles Ladder Company, or no, the Catalina Ladder Company. And so, yeah, those boards, um, you know, Tom Blake, an interesting guy. There's there's a there's a lot of history with Tom Blake, and I would urge people to pick up a book on Blake and read about him if you don't know anything about him. But um, you know, the, I I have a hollow board hanging in my uh, home on my you know in my ceiling in the rafters, and the thing about the hollow boards is that there are, certainly are an abundance of hollow boards out there if you're a collector. The Popular Mechanics article that came out that basically had a how, it was like a how-to manual on how to right. build it. Um, that led to a bunch of people. And in fact, I, I think I've told you this in the past, here in Southern California, woodshop teachers in the 50s and 60s had their students build a hollow surfboard off of the popular mechanics manual that was in their magazine. So you had literally every year, hundreds of surf Grammys from the South Bay in LA going, yeah, well, I could either build my mom, you know, a salad bowl, or I can, you know, build a surfboard, you know, right. so everyone, so there's a bunch of, of sort of knockoffs, if you will, or just, you know, high school built hollow boards out there. And then there are the few, the proud, the remaining Blake, the real Blakes. And so a lot of times myself as a guy who runs an auction, 
I get a lot of emails. Hey, I've got this cool hollow board. I think it's worth some money. It's been in my garage. Well, it's just your grandfather built it when he was in high school, and it's not really worth much. Right. And then there are the, the legendary uh, Blake paddle boards from the Catalina Ladder Company and the L.A. Ladder Company, and, um, and then the ones from um, Pacific Systems Homes. But, you know, you mentioned the Malibu surfers that um, they started to get into these really thin and narrow Malibu chips. And they were making them out of balsa. So at the end of the day, they weighed as much as the hollow board did. Because those hollow boards were made out of redwood a lot of times. And so they were hollowing out a lot of redwood, right. heavy, dense wood. And um, as soon as they got into these balsa chips... I mean, these balsa chips probably weighed about 45 or 50 pounds, which was light mm -hmm. um, relative to those times. And the guy who um, we should mention passed away last week, sadly, is Matt Kivlin. Matt Kivlin was one of these legendary Malibu shapers who made these beautiful balsa chips, which were thin, narrow, um, very lightweight, and served really, really well. Yeah. Especially relative to the sort of boxy Tom Blake hollow chambered boards. Well, um, we didn't mention it when we opened the show, but we should mention where we're recording this uh, podcast, right? And the wealth of uh, kind of surfboards that they have on display. Yeah, the, we're broadcasting from the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center broadcast studios here in San Clemente. We're in their gorgeous uh, library and we're surrounded by um, surfing academia, if you will. They have a tons of books and magazines, every video. They've got a library of photographic imagery that is just mind-blowing. And um, yeah, so we're stoked to be broadcasting from Shack, as they call it, Shack, the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center. Yeah, and I'll Instagram out um, in it, a photo of one of the hollow boards. Since we're talking about it and since they're on display in the other room, I will Instagram that photo out at Surf Splendor if you want to check that out. Did you read that a man was uh, airlifted from a beach in Australia after being run into by a dolphin? Life-threatening situation where a boogie boarder run into, smashed by a dolphin. I did. I read even... even. Uh... Is this just dumb luck or was there, is the dolphin smart enough to say, hey, get off of my wave? Well, I think the dolphin's smart enough to identify who the body boarder is and take him out. Right. Uh, um, so I've had this debate with my friends for years and years since we started surfing. Why doesn't a dolphin take out surfer? Well, just that there's a pot of dolphins that comes racing by and I always, you know, I'll, somebody will inevitably mention like, aren't you worried those are going to run into you? And then somebody's like, well, they have sonar. And so they know how to avoid you. And my response to that was always, yeah. But there's got to be smart dolphins and dumb dolphins, extra chromosomal dolphins, you know what I mean? And their sonar only has to be off a little bit. Yeah. And I don't think he's even trying to run into you. But if that sonar slightly off, boom, they can take you out and yeah. they can do some damage. And yeah. apparently, from what I read, this kid, 27-year-old bodyboarder, was just duck diving. And the dolphin was surfing in the wave, essentially, and ran right into his chest. Just a big thud right in his chest, and it ripped his wetsuit. It hit him so hard. Yeah. And like you said, they have to uh, air vac him out. But yeah, that's insane. Yeah. I wonder if the dolphin's okay. I don't know. I never thought about that. What about the poor dolphin? Jeez. After watching Blackfish, that's all you're concerned about. <laughs> well, I, I, I do feel sad for the, uh, 
the surfer as well. It's too bad that it happened, but it, in, certainly an interesting situation, not one that you hear about often. He's going to make a full recovery, okay. is what they said. Um, so, what else do you, you want to get? You want to get controversial? <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's get controversial. You want to potentially say something that'll harm your future good standing within this uh, podcast community? I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to. I don't want to harm anybody or harm your own good standing. Uh, I don't know. What do you? I have no idea what you're talking. about. Okay. What are you talking? About? Otis Carey versus Surfing Life magazine. Oh. Did you read this story? I did read a little bit about this. This is the indigenous Australian surfer that was characterized by, is it Surfing Life? Yeah. Surfing Life magazine in Australia as having an apish face. Am I correct in that? You are correct. Okay. So Australian surfing publication Surf, uh, Surfing Life is under fire after writer Nathan Myers called the surfer from Aboriginal heritage apish, quote unquote. Myers was working on a story about Carrie, a 23-year-old free surfer from Narrabin whose mother is of Aboriginal heritage. The direct quote that Nathan included in the piece was, With his apish face and cowering hair curtains, I expect little more than Cro-Magnon grunts from his mouth. I am caught off guard by the clarity and eloquence of his speech. That's the direct quote. (laughs) Well, I so. think the first part of the quote is okay. I think the second part is where Nathan gets himself in trouble because he's suggesting that with an apish face and cowering hair curtains that you wouldn't be clear and eloquent. Correct. And that's probably the problem. Look, the Australian surf media has sort of prides itself on being sort of cutting edge and and just telling, you know, telling it how they see it and not really being politically correct and so um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry that, uh, Nathan Myers has to go through this, uh, you know, what is it that he's going through this, this, it's basically correct. It's basically the internet's backlash and, um, a bunch of, uh, news outlets picked up the story. They're all pointing the finger, finger at surfing life saying that it's a, a racist comment, therefore it's a racist publication, and they need to apologize. I don't know what this guy looks like, but does he have an apish face or not? I mean, it's really quite simple. Yeah, that could be used to describe his face. Well, then there's no problem. If that's the way the writer wants to describe the person, then I I don't understand. But is it a derogatory term? Does does his face look apish or not? If it does, then... Okay. I mean... I think sometimes the political correctness goes overboard. I agree with that for it's sure. It's just, you know, let the writer write. Yeah, but so let me let me argue devil's ad- advocate for you. Yeah. By the way, I know Nathan Myers. He's a great person. I don't think he meant any. I think that they're just trying to be clever. And I think, again, what got him, what got him in trouble was this thing about he was caught off guard by the clarity and eloquence of Otis's speech. That's where... So Nathan, He's making the connection between the way you look and your intelligence. Correct. I think that is a more accurate assessment of that's why a, people that's are That's a offended. problem. So I'll also state for the record, Surfing Life issued an uh, apology in, immediately. And it appears that Otis, Carey, and his family accepted the apology. They, they, they didn't say anything, right? They, I don't think they I did. I read that their whole position is don't say anything about it. And please don't contact us about yeah, this. Like we're, like, yeah. So my, I get the sense that, that, and maybe I'm wrong, I don't want to 
characterize the way they feel about it, but I get the sense that they're thinking it's a non-issue as well. I seem to get that, feel that way as well. This is just where the internet goes wrong. That's right? what I was going to say, is the, the real meat and potatoes of this story took place in 5% of a kind of what got covered. 95% of what's been covered is just the social media and internet's backlash to what's happened. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I agree with you where what's up with all this hypersensitivity? I don't feel that um, Nathan Myers is racist. I don't feel that that publication is racist. I don't think Otis Carey felt that it was racist. I do believe that it was an insensitive comment. And Apish... It's Australia. <laughs> but it is, right. But Apish, Everything's insensitive in comment. It, but Apish is a term that's probably been used derogatorily a lot in the past, and maybe you should just steer away from using that term. And Nathan could have probably found other terms. So maybe it was just... What is an apish face? Tell me what you think an apish face is. What uh, does that mean? I would say... Ape-like? Yeah, a thick yeah. brow line. A thick brow line? Maybe large lips or kind of mouth. And does Otis Carey have a thick brow line and yes. large lips? So he has an apish face. Right, but the fact that that term's been used to, you know derogatorily in the past to diminish or to... Well, you can't use Nathan's writing in, in context with what's been happening in the past. I mean, at some point you but sort knowing... of imprint your own Correct. racism on this when, when you're, if you're scouring the internet and you're like, oh my God, they used that word apish. They're not allowed to. It's like, uh, I, I don't know. It's, I'm just saying... I know you are and I'm just... But I, I'm just saying that I would avoid using that term just because it could be misconstrued as and racist. And how sad is that? That we have to now avoid using terms because somebody somewhere is going to misconstrue it as being racist. I think we've gone too far. I fully agree with you. That it has gone too far. But I also think that... Um, Are we not allowed to use the word apish? <laughs> we're not. Unless you want to get in trouble. You know what I mean? That's ridiculous. But no, I agree with you that the internet... And you people... have a cat-like face. My face may be, may be considered dog-like. And that person over there is apish. I think... Some look like a snake. I think what else is crazy is that the people who are... Nathan Myers... Pointing... Looks like a golden retriever. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. That's a beautiful animal. But I think also... Are you saying apes aren't beautiful? Golden retrievers are, okay. is what I'm saying. Right. But I think you're right in that the people also that are pointing the finger at Nathan and trying to persecute him are exhibiting just as much intolerance for Nathan and the mistake that he made as Nathan was or wasn't towards Aboriginal people. You know what I mean? Like, those pious people that are trying to protect the aboriginals are now exhibiting an excessive amount of intolerance. And and I don't think Nathan is racist and I don't think he's even intolerant towards aboriginals. I think he made a cho a poor choice in language as uh in use of describing Otis Carey, but you know what I mean? It's like people are being awfully intolerant of him and the publication. So, it's a whole it's much to do about nothing and I actually feel kind of Lame for even bringing it it's up sort as of a, a non-story. Yeah, it's totally. Sort of, it's sort of a non-story. So, but Nate, Otis Carey, by the way, is somebody who I don't know that I've ever even heard of, and he, he's certainly got more publicity out of this whole debacle than he had previously. And it also should be noted that Nathan Myers is working on a film, and Otis is one of the featured surfers in that film. So I highly doubt that he would, yeah, you know, be 
I hope they do some sort of funny spoof on this whole thing in the movie, like as a extras on the DVD box set or whatever. That would be a wise way yeah. to yeah walk away from it all. Well, speaking of Cro-Magnons... <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. There's a new breed of surfers... And they're called hipsters who refuse to wear leg ropes. Did you see this story in Byron Bay? First of all, I am offended. You will be hearing from my lawyer. <laughs> well, I, I saw this online. Um, this came out of the Australian uh, surfing media. And apparently there's somebody named Gary Morgan in Byron Bay who's spent more than 20 years there. And he's up in arms over the fact that surfers aren't wearing leashes. He's concerned that other surfers are potentially in harm's way because of this onslaught of quote-unquote hipsters at Byron Bay who refuse to wear a leash. And in so doing, the potential for harm is caused as their boards may or may not run in and hit some uh, unexpected surfer in the water or, or water beach ocean lover and uh, hurt them. And um, he's arguing that all surfers should now wear leashes. What are your thoughts? Balderdash. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Complete, I, utter balderdash. This guy's... Uh, my feeling is that surfing is dangerous. There are sharks. There are rip currents. There are blue bottles. There uh, are um, the potential for drowning. Um, and there are surfboards, which yeah. are going to hurt you uh, if you're hit by one of them. A lot of sharp edges. And it happens. Yeah. And it's unfortunate, but surfing's dangerous. And the more that we try to legislate our surf experience, um, the more the wussification of surfing um, continues to evolve. It's a slippery slope. I agree with you completely. Um, realistically, if you're good enough to not wear a leash, by all means do it. There's going to be guys who aren't. They're going to lose their board more frequently. It will ultimately hit somebody. But I, I kind of am under the belief that if you're playing in the ocean, even if you are a novice and you're in the shore break just swimming around you have to be aware of objects that are coming at you. And if somebody wipes out on the outside and their, boars, their board is coming in on the whitewash, it's your responsibility to get out of the way. I want to take it a step further. And right now, here and now, um, down the line, Surf Talk Radio is announcing that on International Surfing Day, which I believe is June 21st, International Surfing Day is now also co-branded as International Surf Without a Leash Day. Wow. Because surfing needs a day where everybody doesn't wear a leash. I think surfing would be so much better off without the leash. The upside is incredible. Can you imagine how many stronger surfers we're going to have? People that can handle themselves in the ocean. Every day you're going to see people swimming after their surfboards. Uh, you're going to see the lineups way less crowded. Agreed. Way less crowded. And, and I guarantee you that each and every surfer that experiences international surf without a leash day is going to realize what they've been missing if they haven't already been doing this once in a while. Surf without a leash on June 21st, International Surf Without a Leash Day, also known as International Surfing Day. This is the day that surfers around the world surf without a leash liberate themselves, and learn something about their own abilities in the surf line. I'm excited. Yes. That's a huge announcement. It is. It and should have started off the show with this. We're going to continue to promote International Surf Without a Leash Day up until the fabulous day arrives, June 21st. I am looking forward to it. I think we should make bumper stickers 
I'm expecting you on surfsplendorpodcast.com to put out, let's create a bumper sticker. I want to see well, give a, me, a graphic on there. Give me a hashtag. Hashtag um, International Surf Without a Leash Day. No, that's too long. Too long. International. Okay. Or no, not international. Hashtag. How about Surf Without a Leash Day, June 21? How about Go Leashless? Go le- hashtag, hashtag Go Leashless. Go Leashless, June 21, in conjunction with and unbeknownst to them in coordination with International Surfing Day. Hashtag Go Leashless. So I want all of you out there in the Instagram world to be using this hashtag. And Twitter. And we're going to create a graphic. David and I, you know, we're going to... I don't know how I got signed up for that, but... Yes, you ahead. are. Thank you so much. Because you're in, because you're excited about this. Go Leashless. Uh, International how, Serve Without a Leash Day. Okay, out of 365 days in, in the year, percentage-wise... I want to do this for a whole year, just me personally. Well, before you commit to that, percentage-wise, <laughs> in the past 365 days... What percentage have you gone leashless out of all your surf sessions? Out of 100%? 100%. Out of the last year, what percentage did you go leashless? What percentage of days? Yeah. Or what percentage of your surfing experience or sessions? Nin- 95% of the last year, I did not wear a leash. No I, way. I do not wear a leash. Really? Yeah. On a regular basis? On a regular basis. Wow. I do not wear a leash. Brave. I swam for my board twice yesterday. Your new brink, too. Yeah. Were you surfing somewhere where there was rocks on yes, the shore? Yes, I was. In did fact, it get dinged up? No, it did not. Wow. Were you just a fast swimmer? Or no, what? no. The board found its way onto the sand. Crazy. Yeah, I, I'm, and I did. I wasn't going to promote. I'm not here to promote how bitching I am that I don't wear a leash. Yeah, you are. I am bitching because I don't wear a leash. No, I don't wear a leash because I don't like leashes, and I'm a good enough surfer not to wear one. Hmm. And that does because, sound like a humble brag, though. <laughs> well, I'm just saying it, the facts are the facts. I don't wear a leash because I go faster and I surf better. Okay, what about that one day that... And I don't do aerials. What about that one day, yeah. giant day at Swami's that the inertia made famous yeah. with your image I'm dropping in? I'm wearing a leash. That, that one day. big day yeah. you wore a leash. I wear a leash when it's... I, there are certain times when I wear a leash. Um, basically, when when swimming a lot, like close out beach break tubes, right. I'm going to wear a leash because I'm going to lose tube time Yeah. because I'm swimming so much. Another humble brag, dude. Well, if that's all it is, you're pulling into closeout tubes. It's not like anyone's doing off the lips. I know. I'm just giving you a hard ah, time. You are giving me a Go leashless. Hashtag go leashless. I'll go leashless for you. What's dude? the percentage of time that you were go without a leash? 20. 20%? I think that's high. I think you're being you're giving yourself too much credit. You wear mm-hmm. a leash a lot. When I ride a shortboard, I generally wear a leash. But I would say 20% of the time, I don't ride a shortboard and I don't wear a leash. All right. Single fin, longboard, I'm going leashless. Nice. So um, Doesn't feel good. I prefer it. Hashtag and, liberate yourself. And, oh, I like it. There's That might already exist, though, for other, other fe- causes. Some feminine causes. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see, like, braless photos of chicks. <laughs> um, so when I, I will tell you, among the most annoying things in surfing is when you get a perfect wave, you stand up and your leash is tangled either in your foot or underneath your foot and you're stepping on it or wrapped in a toe. That is the worst thing ever. I wouldn't know. I guess not, but okay. Well, let me talk. No, about I it. agree with you. It is then you annoying. you stand That's up and you're like, one of the many reasons why I go leashless. You stand up and you're like, should I try to surf at ninety five percent with this thing under my foot, or do I take a second to like try to kick it out of my foot? But I might ruin the wave by doing that, and then I'll. But if I make it, then I could surf it at a hundred percent. It's the biggest. It's Sophie's choice. Do you know how many stand up paddlers I see just bailing their board and holding, hugging their paddle? 
because they have a leash on. If they didn't have leashes on, do you know how much more liberating the lineups would be? Yeah, they would. And they would become better surfers. If they swam after their board, they would realize that they're not the bee's knees that they think they are, and they'd become way better stand-up paddlers. That's true. If you want to get really crazy, you could carry a pocket knife out there no. and quietly swim up <laughs> underneath stand-up paddlers and cut their leash. No, I don't, I'm not. I, I want people to have a good time. I just want people to realize where their true ability lies. And yeah. I think when you go leashless, you really you, it is there is some humility there. Yeah, I like it. Man, I'm kind of on board with this, Scott. January 21, hashtag go leashless, hashtag International Surfing Day. I like it. ISD, isn't it? Hashtag ISD. Yeah, it is. And then it's hashtag go leashless. Yep. Uh, go leashless on ISD. So, Scott, were you aware that Grant... <laughs> Are you reading this right now? No, I am not. Like you're reading. This is from memory. Are you aware that Grant Twiggy Baker is our official Big Wave World Champ? I saw that um, kind of hap randomly, and I don't... Half randomly. Yeah, do you like that word? <laughs> Half randomly, I saw that, and I'm not. I, I'm surprised it wasn't um, broadcast a little bit more. Where did, it was just a press release, right? Or where did you see it? Because Surfer Magazine did an interview with him, and they said with little fanfare and almost no media coverage. That's what it was. Little fanfare. Grant Baker became the new Big Wave World Champion. Although there hasn't been an official announcement yet from the Big Wave World Tour, Baker's third place at the Oregon Pro last week. They're just now doing the math on this. Yeah. <laughs> Along with his two wins in Spain and Mavericks, makes his ratings lead unassailable. Somebody did the math on their own, kind of like... Kelly? Yeah, remember when... Yeah. Yeah, no, it's the very similar situation. This is embarrassing for the ASP. It, well, they, they interviewed uh, Grant, and he basically said, the ASP officially takes over the Big Wave World Tour starting in April, which is the beginning of their new season. Ah. So they're still... Their season runs until... Um, the Toto Santos contest, which the waiting period ends at the end of this month. But no matter what happens at Totos, Grant wins. Grant wins no matter what. Because right. he won two events. Two events were canceled. And then he got third in this recent event last week in Oregon. So he has the lead. He could not show up and the guy in second place could win Totos and it wouldn't matter. Right. Which would be Skin, uh, skin Dog, I think. Would be that guy who would be in second. So, um, but I went on the ASP site. They have no mention of even being involved with the Big Wave World Tour. So I guess they're. How gonna... much writing do you have there? Because I'm gonna, I have to go use the restroom. I'm gonna have. You're gonna have to carry this segment. We're just gonna take a pause then. <laughs> no, we can't do that. You gotta be Dude, able to carry the segment. I can't talk endlessly without you around. Okay. <laughs> you take it. We'll pause it. No, I don't want to pause. I want to keep on going. I'm just surprised. You can, I, this was a moment right here. This was a chance for you to shine. I don't have it in <laughs> me, dude. Do you have a kook and a duke? I do. You can talk kook and duke for a minute. Yeah, minutes. but I want you to hear it. Oh, well, that's true. It's a good one. Oh, you got me there. Why don't you go pee? We'll pause it. Let's just carry on. Okay. <laughs> All right. So are we going straight to kook and duke? or We got it because I got to pee oh, like a gosh. racehorse. Okay. Gosh, dude. Um... Do you have a kook and duke? Or should I lead I off? I don't have one. Okay, I'll give you my duke of the week. Nasima Otker. Are you familiar with that name? <laughs> don't even Who? start to make fun. Does he have you'll, an apish face? You'll feel bad if you start making fun. Oh, okay. I love right. this guy. Who is it? It's actually a female. <laughs> <laughs> Bangladeshi female surfer who is homeless 
but miraculously become one of the country's best surfers. Despite having to beg for survival, uh, despite being constantly teased and taunted by men and women who say surfing is inappropriate for girls, and despite living in a country where two million children suffer acute malnutrition, Nasima at just... I think they landed Malaysian flight whatever there in, in Bangladesh. Really? Yeah, that's the rumor. That, that they, that's your rumor? That's There's there's 634 airstrips that that plane could have landed at yeah. between like India and... And Bangladesh is in that sphere between India and the Straits of Malacca or whatever it is. So couldn't they just find it if it's landed on... No, that's the problem. There's 634. They're, they're scouring these different remote... All they needed was 5,000 feet of runway to land. So there's just like all these remote And airfields. what's the incentive? What are they doing with those? I don't know. At that point, the conspiracy runs a little amok. I'm just saying that this poor surfer girl could be living in okay. remote... You know, she could be close to the Malaysian. All right. Did I well, just, did I just, yeah. Derail? I just, I just derailed. So. Okay, well, let me get back. So at 14, <laughs> at age 14, she's managed to beat all the local boys in the annual surf contest. Quote from Nasima: when I surf, I can finally just be happy and forget about all my problems on land. There's a, a, a filmmaker named Heather Kessinger who's producing a movie about this girl. It's called The Most Fearless, an unexpected surf story. And... Um, it's fully funded by Kickstarter. The first story was released. Scott's rolling his eyes for those who can't look, can't uh, see him right now. Uh, her Kickstarter campaign to produce this documentary is already funded, so nobody's asking for money. But I just came across the story. It was actually first published in 2012. I guess Nasima's 17 at this point. But the documentary is being produced. I'll keep you posted on the story. But it's so a wreck. I'm rolling my eyes only because of this. You hate females. No. <laughs> no. I mean, I want the best for this young lady. I'm glad for her. I'm glad she's found surfing. But are we really going to get another film where it's like surfing is great? I mean, what do you think this film's going to be about? Rags, the, to, the, rags to rags, the story of this Poor little girl that loves surfing. And the overarching theme is that surfing is great. No. The story is about somebody who persevered this male-dominated and, you know, whatever culture yeah. to pursue her dream. It could be surfing. It could be stickball. I don't care what the... It's more interesting to me that it is surfing. Right. Surfing. But the story is just that she's surfing fully clothed because they're not allowed to wear bikinis. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, I look forward to seeing it. It could be a good, and, and maybe I rolled my eyes prematurely. It sounds like I did, but, and I want to see the film. I'm just a little, I, I just, there's so many surf movies out there that are, at the end of the day, it's like surfing's great. And it's like, no kidding. That, they did that movie, it was called Endless Summer. It's you know, 50 years ago. Well, Scott, the fact that she's a teenage homeless girl pursuing her dream of surfing I, is the reason why she's my Duke of the Week. I wish her only the best. Doesn't sound like it. I do. I just, I'm concerned about the quality of this documentary. Well, unjustly. Uh, well, I, we don't know yet. You don't know that it's a great documentary. Guess what? If you and I were doing it, it would be. Guess what? Somebody just found their way onto my Kook of the Week list. And that kook is Scott Bass. Oh my god! <laughs> you just that took was brutal. You just who took did I the kick reins. Off? Who, who, who did I kick off? You don't even want to know. Oh my god! Did I... <laughs> this leash list. No, just kidding. Um, uh, well, I got to direct all the mail straight to to David's Surf Splendor Podcast at gmail.com. Sure. 
That's not even an existing email address. But my must-see moment of the week yeah. is, um, I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name, but Kirk Vogelins. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a, a filmer. He used to film for Nike when they had a surf line. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that footage, because they canceled the program, never got used. And so I guess maybe... Uh, his non-compete or whatever he had signed to not use that footage has run out. And so now he just released a little surf edit called Resurrection. And it's showing all this footage that never made it to the light of day. Um, It's a really awesome uh, little edit, kind of surf porn edit of just fast music with fast surfing. One section in particular that's worth watching is John John Florence and West Oz. Footage I've never seen before. It's back when he was writing for O'Neill. So it's a couple years old. But the, the video at large is worth watching, but this one segment of John John in West Oz in his prime is just absolutely unreal. Getting super barreled and then doing these massive alley-oops into the wind. Um, I'll post that video on surfsplendorpodcast.com. It's flown under the radar. He released this edit two weeks ago and I haven't seen, I don't think Stab or anybody else really even post the video, hmm. but I will definitely post it and you should definitely watch it. I'll do an Instagram of it too, at Surf Splendor, if you follow on Instagram. Cool. I'm down. Awesome. So you got to pee or what? I do. I have to urinate. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that that means the show is coming to an well, end. Well, you have to do the best song ever. So you don't have one, but I do. Leave it in your hands. Here's Scott. the best song ever. Take a listen. No to pun this. intended. That is in memory of Elizabeth Reed, the Almond Brothers. Fabulous. Best song ever, quite frankly. I am so disappointed that you couldn't carry the show with it when I step out for two minutes. I'm going to put you on the spot next time. This is part of your training as a broadcaster. What if you got to carry, you got to just, you just got to wing it. You don't know what to do. Some of your best stuff will come out. I feel bad. I actually have a full paragraph here of something that we didn't even talk about. So I'd like, I'd like to commit five minutes right now <laughs> and redeem myself. If you, can you turn this music down, please? Hey, you want to talk over the music? No. Can I push the down button? Okay. All right. While Scott is relieving himself, I will tell you about um, a new book that's just been released called Hobie, Master of Water, Wind, and Waves. And the author is Paul Holmes. So um, subject, obviously, is very obvious. It's about Hobie. And um, it discusses Hobie's influence in the surfing world uh, via shaping surfboards, but also helping create polyurethane foam surfboards with Gordon Clark, his business partnerships with the Hilton Hotel family, and his investment in the OP brand. So the book is built basically upon interviews with Hobie Alter himself, um, other legendary surfers, Mickey Munoz, Phil Edwards, uh, Dave Hilton, obviously, of the Hilton family, and then Gordon Clark, who he tracked down for an interview, which is a pretty big task. Obviously, the Clark foam fallout in 2005 left shockwaves throughout the um, the our industry, but also outside of our industry, just because it had such economical effects. So Paul Holmes was able to track down Gordon Clark, was interviewing, interviewed him 
for the book and I have not yet read the book, but I read some reviews on it and it looks fantastic and I ordered it and I definitely will be reading it and then I can discuss that with Scott perhaps in one of our next shows. But I also came across an article that Forbes magazine did on Hobie um, a couple of months ago and it wasn't even about the book. It was just about his kind of influence in surfing and um, how much the industry owes to Hobie. And one quote that Hobie left in that Forbes article that I think is inspirational to anybody who's interested in just business, um, he left three points actually. The first one was just find a hole to fill. And Hobie said there was a need for lighter weight. He was involved not only in surfboard production but in catamaran and boat production. And what he said was that there was a need for a lighter weight boat. So I built the Hobie 14. There has to be a need for your product to compete. Second point was have a passion for what you're selling. Hobie said, I was an active user of surfboards and sailboards and, and got our product out in the public eye. My son sailed and surfed from the beginning and have the same attitude. So if you're not passionate about your product, it's really tough to successfully market the product. Are you talking about the Hobie book? Yeah. Yeah, the book's incredible. You should get the book and read it. It's really, really good. Did you actually read it? I have not yet, but yeah. I know the story well enough. I, I've been lucky enough to be on the board of directors here at Shaq, so I've had sort of inside access to uh, to the Hobie Alter story and the creation of the book and um, to Dick Metz, who was, who was real tight with Hobie. And, it was written by Paul Holmes. Do you know Paul? Yeah, Paul, Paul's a member here at Surfing Heritage. I reached out to him via his publisher for yeah. an interview. So if they don't follow through, maybe you can hook it up. Oh, yeah. I got his number right here. Okay, cool. And then the, the final point that Hobie made, uh, kind of inspirational point, is just that your customer's praise means everything. So it's important to have good word of mouth and let customers sell for you. We put regattas, or we put on regattas to promote our sailboats which are still going today. We started a class of sailboat racing for the Hobie 14, and there are fleets around the world now. So it doesn't matter how good your product is, if people aren't talking about it, you know, it might just die on the shelf. So words of wisdom by Hobie Alter, and uh, inspirational for me and what we do here with this podcast and everything else, you know, quality product, word of mouth, I think those are key key assets to growing Word this of mouth product. for sure. <laughs> We're trying to get to the quality of product. But right. you do you come prepared. I just sit down and kind of wing it and I appreciate your preparedness. You got it, Scott. All right. Well, uh Downline Surf Talk Radio. Um, you can reach me via email, surftalksandiego at gmail.com. And of course, this is a, a simulcast on David's website surfsplendorpodcast.com and his email speaking of unprofessional scott geez phone blowing up yeah um yeah my email is hello at surfsplendorpodcast.com and then of course on social media at surfsplendor continue this conversation also in regards to hobie talking about people uh sharing just share the show with a friend. That's your investment in our show. Help it grow. Share it with your friends. And we will continue producing more shows. All right. Until next time, adios and aloha. Dog got to my limit till the news. My head got wet in midnight dew. Red got a bend down on my bend and knees. Talking to a man from Galilee. I got spoke and he sounds so sweet. I thought I heard the shuffle of angels' feet. He put one hand upon my head. Red got to
that's the news for March 18th, 2014. Thank you, Scott Bass, for co-hosting. Thank you to you, the listener, for listening to this show. And also, thank you for sharing this show with a friend. As each week, it does continue to grow, and those numbers and subscribers have steadily increased week by week, month by month. And so we are very grateful for that. And if you're new to Surf Splendor, all past episodes are archived for free at surfsplendorpodcast.com. Also, in iTunes and Stitcher, where if you listen to the show in either of those apps, make sure to just rate the show and review it. And that helps others to find the show. So thank you very much for that. You can follow us on social media at Surf Splendor. We will be back next week on Monday with an all-new episode with surfboard shaper Josh Martin, son of the famed Hobie shaper Terry Martin. So look forward to that next week. It's a great little human interest piece with a little bit about surfboard design as well. And uh, Josh is is into doing some really cool and interesting things. So look forward to that episode, and we look forward to touching base with you then. So thanks as always. This is David Scales signing off and saying mahalo.